everybody, this is Jeremy Lynch and Landon Harlan from Obu Interactive. You're listening to the Cases for Causes podcast, the show that looks at legal marketing with a purpose. Today, we are speaking with Robbie Bell of Osborne and Francis about the Camp Lejeune Justice Act. Our guest today has focused his career on advocating for clients affected by defective medical devices and harmful drugs in complex mass tort cases on both a national and local level. In addition to mass tort litigation, Robbie also specializes in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and personal injury cases. He is an active member of the American Association for Justice, Palm Beach County Justice Association, and the Palm Beach County Bar Association. For those not familiar, this bill allows certain individuals to sue and recover damages for harm from exposure to a contaminated water at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina between August 1st, 1953 and December 31st, 1987. This action is available only to individuals who were exposed to contaminated water for at least 30 days. Robbie, I want to thank you for joining us. Is there anything about that summary of this act that our listeners might find surprising? Hey guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and I, I think you you touched on it about the, the word sue. If you look at the actual act, which is about two pages long, maybe less than two pages, it's not a whole you know treatise or a long drawn out thing, but in my experience, having less information sometimes leads to more interpretation. Let's just start right at the top. If you look at Section 804, it says a federal cause of action relating to water at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Me being a lawyer and having the experience in this field can interpret what an action means or a federal cause of action. And the most important thing that stands out with the Camp Lejeune Justice Act, which is the the nickname given to it under the, the larger bill that was passed, is that it allows for an individual, uh, including a veteran or a legal representative of such individual who resided, worked, or was otherwise exposed for at least 30 days to bring an action in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of North Carolina. And what that means is to file a lawsuit. So this uh, Camp June Justice Act contemplates filing a lawsuit in federal court, which was actually previously Many claims uh, in lawsuits were previously dismissed prior to the enactment of this. Wow. Okay, Robbie, that's an interesting fact that I think a lot of people don't understand as far as they keep hearing claims. They see television ads for claims. And more importantly, I think those who are seeing these television ads and they're looking at the dates going all the way back to the 50s. Can you tell us a little bit about how this happened and what exactly contaminated their water supply? What what happened there over the course of these decades that sickened all these people? Yeah, so the, the act contemplates um, individuals who were there who were exposed to the water contamination from August 1st, 1953 to the end of 1987. And what has come about has been pretty horrifying, to be honest. It's It's extremely upsetting. It's almost mind-blowing that you literally had 33, 34 years of toxic exposure of chemicals uh, in the water of our U.S. Marines who are training and defending our country and, you know, doing all the things that that we do to fight for freedom. And the fact that 
this could happen, you know, it's not a three to four year period. This went on for 33 to 34 years. It's, it's horrifying. And the statistics and the data um, that have come out is, it, it, as I said before, it's mind blowing where the chemicals and the toxins that were in this water are, are hundreds in expon exponentially hundreds of times more toxic than what the maximum exposure rate contemplated uh, is. And right. that is just, it's unacceptable. Right, right. I read it even gets into the thousands of times permitted by the EPA by, by recent standards. I don't know how they applied in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, but I understand it's, it's fairly egregious. And it's also something that's been kind of quashed or anyone who's who's tried to bring some blame to Camp Lejeune, because I've, I've heard of Camp Lejeune for, for the better part of a decade, people saying that they're sick and they're sta stationed there. And now that this has changed things, this is a really an unprecedented event, right? Yeah, it is. And what was interesting is when you look at the history and the timeline of this is the Marines and their families weren't really even notified until the mid 2000s, maybe like 2007 or eight. At that point, there was about 4,000 uh, so on claims brought through what's called the Federal Tort Claims Act. Those were actually denied. Then lawsuits were then subsequently filed. They were actually consolidated in an MDL, but subsequently dismissed due to a couple different reasons. But the most important was is they applied the North Carolina statute of repose of 10 years, which essentially meant if you had a claim accrue greater than 10 years prior to that, which all of them were, right? Because 1987, fast forward 10 years, if nothing was filed by 1997, they used that as a defense and actually dismissed the cases. And it went up to the appellate courts and the appellate court actually affirmed the district court's ruling. And they were all, all the cases were then dismissed. And then all of the pending claims were denied on that basis. Basically that there was no, since you had no cause of action, then they used that as, as a reason or one of the reasons for denying the remainder of the claims. So there was zero pathway at all until August 10th of this year. Right. And so I think that's one of the interesting things about the act and, and what it does as far as People have been aware of this for a very long time. There has been, like you said, an MDL, which means there's been cases filed in multiple different districts and states around the country, and they've tried to consolidate them for efficiency, but that didn't happen. Let me ask you a question, and, and you may have already touched on this a little bit, but I've seen a lot of ads on television, whether you're at the gym, or, or just anywhere, it doesn't matter what channel you're on, if you're streaming, there seems to be an ad on this. And there's a lot of ads calling it a class action. And then, is that correct or not? The word class action does not appear anywhere in the act. So the answer is no, this is not a class action. That's not to say that down the road, after lawsuits are filed, there, there may be different class of cases or, or you know some sort of subset within the Eastern District of North Carolina. But if you read the act, there is no anywhere that says the words class action. One of the other things I've seen online in doing just a little bit of research on it, and it seems like a very good idea coming from 
the VFW and the VA is they're talking about speaking with an accredited service officer, someone who can help guide, hopefully, through this, this process. Can you tell us more about that, what your thoughts are? I didn't see that there's very many service officers actually available, and I can only imagine if you know a million people have been exposed or thousands of people are trying to seek a service officer. How, how do you feel that's going to go or what can they provide? Yeah. And if you have someone that you trust, that's local, that's, you know, once again, an accredited service officer. When I did my research, I found the same lane that there was only a few per locale or even uh, in different regions of the state. You know, not everyone's going to have that, that benefit. I think it really, you know, if we go back to the act, it, it also doesn't say anything about speaking to an accredited service officer or, or how they will help you in this process. An accredited services officer, I don't know how many are lawyers, but if they're not a lawyer, then a accredited services officer cannot file a lawsuit for you, but a lawyer can. So, you know, these are things, uh, little things that I think people need to be aware of that, yeah, if you have someone trusted who's going to, you know, maybe help you with the dates that you were at Camp Lejeune or, or you know, a member of your family was there, then that's that's phenomenal. That's great. But as it, it pertains to this act, as it pertains to receiving compensation for the disease you or you know someone in your family suffered, these are all things that I feel as a, a experienced lawyer, you know, and you want a lawyer who is very knowledgeable in in these mass type of exposure cases can really help you. Along those same lines, Robbie, can you? Tell us a story about a veteran or a surviving family member that maybe you've spoken to or that has even hired you, and maybe what some of their concerns were about either their exposure or what their what their rights were or how this was going to work. Our firm and myself, had, it, this has been a very touching experience. You know, we've been able to represent thousands of people over the years, um, whether it be a metal on metal hip replacement or some sort of, you know, pharmaceutical case or, you know, the roundup exposure cases. And, you know, those cases were all very severe and significant in their own right. But, but this is kind of different. This has been a lot more of a personal feel. You learn a lot of uh, things about people's histories and their story, right? We're, we're learning about their story right off the bat, and it's extremely compelling. Me and my staff have made a commitment to spend time to to ask a, a lot of you know questions to, to to hear these things and it's been quite moving and it's amazing how many individuals touched or were near Camp Lejeune over these years and how many people it's affected. I, I think Landon mentioned something about close to a million people. I mean, you put a hundred people in a room and that seems like a lot sometimes. Imagine that times, you know, however much that that goes to. So this has been an extremely moving experience. And just the other week, I was driving across the state, Florida, I stopped at a, uh, a steakhouse in Lake Wales, which is an extremely small town. And, you know, I sat there and was just eating dinner, you know, halfway through my trip back. And I actually was in an expert deposition in a uh, medical malpractice case. So my mind was completely focused on that case. You know, not thinking, you know, really anything of Camp Lejeune or, or, you know, what we were doing for, you know, the victims of Camp Lejeune at that time. And as I'm sitting there, you know, there was a couple talking to a gentleman across the, you know, the way. And they got talking about, you know, family and personal stuff and all of that. And, 
you know, he went into how his life's been affected by, you know, cancer and that he was extremely active, an athletic guy, and how, you know, this cancer really, really just, you know, limited him and, and, and you know, really has, you know, ruined a lot of things that he enjoyed. And the next sentence that came out was, you know, and I was in the military and I just thought to myself, I said, he, you know, they're going to ask him what military he was in and he's going to say a Marine. And, and then I'm going to have to <laughs> ask him about, you know, Camp Lejeune. And sure enough, he said, yeah, I was a Marine. And then I just said, hey, you know, were you at Camp Lejeune? And he said, yeah, and went in to tell me, you know, that story. And so it's just remarkable that you can meet people at, you know, anywhere uh, that has been there or knows someone. And then it turned out that the couple across from him, they they knew a woman that was there that actually passed away uh, due to cancer. So, you know, these are things where just in everyday life you run into. And, and to me, as a lawyer, that's what's the most compelling is, is the fact that you can have people anywhere and everywhere that you can help that have been affected by this. Yeah, absolutely. I got to imagine there's a lot of stories out there. I've certainly come across a couple of people myself that I've talked to, and a lot of them are unfortunately misinformed and haven't read through the act, which like you said, is two pages. It's a fairly easy read. You know, most people that I've met who have been Marines and are veterans are, are very intelligent folks. They're problem solvers. So I encourage them to go and take a look at it. Can you can you help shed a little bit of light, however, kind of give us a peek behind the curtain. If somebody is interested in being a part of this action, not a claim, but this action, what is the process like? How is it easy to get started? How do things work with their VA benefits? I feel like a lot of people may be concerned that there would be any kind of implications there. Can you give us a little peek behind the curtain of what's happening with the current cases and the current families of uh, Marines that you are representing? Yeah, that's a great question. The way I, dis I dissected the act and the way procedurally I envision handling this is actually back to front. So when I read through the act, I actually started at the end and worked my way forward or worked my way back, actually. And, and what I started was the time frame. There's really four four important things that we can we can do for our clients that we will be doing for our clients. The first is the time frame. That allows for two years to bring a claim and an action, which our interpretation of that is a lawsuit. So we would have two years to file a lawsuit. The second part of this analysis is before, and if you go up one, one step in the, uh, the act is before you can bring an action or a lawsuit, you must comply with section 265 of the United States code which is an administrative code that is generic, which essentially says, it's not specified to Camp Lejeune at all. If you pull the code, it says that before filing a lawsuit, you actually have to file a claim with a federal agency. And that agency has a six month or 180 day window to review your claim. If they deny it before, then you can go ahead and file a lawsuit. Or if the six month windows pass and there's no disposition or resolution, or they don't get back to you, then you're allowed to file a lawsuit. And that segues into the claim, right? And the and, and the next part of that code, which is extremely important, as in and this will pertain to the Camp Lejeune claims that are being filed administratively before the lawsuit, is you actually have to pick an amount of claim where you actually have to determine what you believe or what the lawyer along with the family members believe that the claim is worth. 
And you're actually bound by that going forward unless new evidence, which was not discoverable or, or, or could be identified, is available. So really, it's the two years, number one. Number two is you have to file the claim. Within the claim, you have to know the time frame, which is six months. And then you need guidance on evaluation or the amount that it's worth. And then the fourth part of that is what do you do once it's denied? Or what do you do when 180 days pass? And that's where the Campbell June Justice Act comes into play because it allows you to file a lawsuit in the Eastern District of North Carolina. Got it. Okay. That's a good perspective on things. So that is extremely interesting. I can only imagine if I was going through filing what we believe is a claim, right? Because you're saying there is essentially part of a claims process, but really what happens is it could be denied. And once that happens, everything changes. So as you're going through this document, they ask you for a valuation where you're unilaterally determining on your own, and probably you're not a doctor, right, to decide how much this is worth. And I feel like that is is really not a well thought through process. This is something that I probably want to look to an attorney who may understand, like, this is what happens in a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma case. This is what happens when someone has this type of cancer. Can you shed a little light on that on, on terms of how the compensation is, is determined? And I understand people use the word value, but really it's a compensation factor, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm going off of what what forms and, and the documentation we're dealing with. And if you look at the one page form, it actually says amount of claim in dollars. And you pick a amount for personal injury or if it was a loved one or a representative of your family, then wrongful death who was at Camp of June. Even more so than a doctor trying to do this independently, a lawyer and law firm who has handled these type of cases, and, and when I say these type of cases, I mean mass mass tort type cases where there is a common injury among plaintiffs all over the country, whether it be cancers, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, Parkinson's disease, other neurological injuries, kidney damage, etc. Having experienced lawyer and a trusted lawyer who who knows how to value these things, have, they, they've known and been through the trenches of litigation, of getting verdicts, and, and of getting hundreds, if not thousands of settlements for these type of injuries, they will have the experience to be able to help evaluate what is a bladder cancer case worth? What is a wrongful death case worth? What does wrongful death even mean? What's a kidney injury worth? What's a Parkinson's disease worth? So, these are all things we're having a lawyer and law firm who's already been doing this for years, who's already actively doing it, but also really has the experience of evaluating many cases and many different facts. Because at the end of the day, everybody that is going to be part of this act and, and receive compensation has their own story and they have their own fact basis. They were they were there for different periods of times. They were at different areas of Camp Lejeune or the surrounding areas. They have different diseases or ailments that they're suffering from or their family does. So there's there's very much an individual kind of one-by-one -one analysis that needs to be performed. But then there also has to be the experience of, you know, a lawyer, a law firm, or someone that has done this to say, all right, well, 
Based on those facts, you know, I had a prior client or other clients like Roundup, for example, who suffered non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, right? So we know what those cases have resolved for and what the verdicts have been and stuff. And that's going to help us evaluate non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or Parkinson's for Paraquat, for example. And then you have Zantac going on right now. So there's there's a variety of, of active litigations, but just our years of experience handling all types of mass tort cases and toxic exposure cases is really going to benefit, we believe is going to benefit our clients as it pertains to picking an amount for these claim forms. Right, absolutely. And it seems like another thing is that these types of cases involving water contamination are not, are, are not a, a scarce thing. They happen, they're quite common, actually. I mean, to a point of you had the Flint water crisis, right, where it was municipality who you know, egregiously allowed this, this to occur in their water system. But then you also have Hollywood steps in making movies with you know Mark Ruffalo, Dark Waters, right? We're all familiar with that one. You got Julia Roberts out in California, toxic water. These, these types of toxic torts, these are more common than I think people even realize and can can even get picked up in things like Hollywood, where it's just toxic dumping of, of these resources. So there are law firms that have actually handled these type of cases like yours. So that makes sense. One thing I will note on that is as more information comes out and, and all of that, I mean, who knows what, what happens with Camp Lejeune? I mean, you, you will probably be seeing more things out in the media, uh, potentially documentaries or movies based on this. Once again, I, I touched on this earlier, but what, what makes this different is that this happened to our Marines and our military. And the, the people that we should be protecting the most are harmed by this. And as I said, it, it went on for 33, 34 years. And that's what is the most disappointing. And, and not to downplay any other of the contamination or toxic cases, but what's just so moving to us is having our clients who served our country and fought in wars and protected our freedoms almost crying on the phone and becoming very emotional that after all of that, then they find out during their training or their time prior to war that they were exposed to toxic chemicals, which is actually causing them to die or physically limiting them is just, it, it, it's, 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 it's so upsetting. It really has created a dedication in our firm, myself in particular and my staff, to really go the extra mile for these people because you know they've been through they've been through enough and to have to go through this is just it's it's unacceptable. So Robbie, I want to go back to something you said where you run into people all over the place and either they were affected or a family member was affected. And it could be at the gym, it could be anywhere. If you had the opportunity to give one piece of advice or, or tell one thing to the people that you run into on the street or just randomly talking about Camp Lejeune, what would that one thing be? That's a phenomenal question. I have to go with trust your lawyer. Trust your lawyer, trust the lawyer you hire. And there's been so much advertising and marketing on these Camp Lejeune cases or people that were exposed to it. And I can only speak from my personal experience and the way our law firm works. I've always found that if you can build trust early on, it will make a huge difference down the road or when that difficult conversation needs to be had. 
you you want to build trust and the way you build the trust is i have to trust my client first or my client's family and that's what you get when when you call us and when you call me or you talk to danielle or carly you're going to get to know us and we're going to get to know you and we're going to build the trust and we're going to get to hear your story and we're going to be able to relate because we're we're going to have hundreds of these stories that we can use to to help on an emotional level but also for what you're hiring us for on a legal level to help walk you through the process to make a wrong as right as we possibly can and this is just once again such a compelling case because it it happened to our marines and the people around our marines and for those who fought for our freedoms for those who gave it their all and went to war to have to hear these stories we hear their war stories and then we hear the story before the war which was their time at camp lejeune and what's happened since they survived that war or their time in the military and that's just what is so moving. But the way we get to do that is by trusting our clients and having our clients trust us. And I can't speak for any other law firm or all the other advertisements you're seeing, but when you reach out, you're gonna get Robbie Bell, you're gonna get Danielle Monahan, you're gonna get Carly Glazer, and we're going to spend the time to build that trust. Really good stuff. And to all the listeners out there who may have been affected or had a family member affected, one of the things that we were talking about offline was, you know, don't delay. It won't help. Start the process. If you need to find out more about this process or find out more about Robbie, Osborne and Francis, or the Camp Lejeune Justice Act, you can visit CampLejeuneInjuries.com or you can call Robbie Bell direct at 561-463-8276. Again, that's 561-463-8276. I want to thank Robbie and everyone out there for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Cases for Causes and you'd like to help support the podcast, please smash the subscribe button, share the episode with others, post about it on social media, and always leave us a rating or review. To catch all the latest from Obu Interactive, you can follow us on Instagram at Obu Interactive or visit us at Obu Interactive. Thanks again, and until next time, work passionately, live peacefully.